It's Friday. A good July 16th morning to you, and thank you for tuning into Real Talk. Thanks for being here. Thanks for making it a priority to check in with the podcast that goes deep, gets uncomfortable, and talks it out. This show is brought to you by the team at Bitcoin Well. If you have questions, and quite frankly, who doesn't? If you have questions about crypto, whether it's like, what's crypto, what's blockchain, or whether you're operating at a higher level of awareness. If you want to go to a source that you can trust, if you want to look to an organization that's been in the game, not since day one, but for a long time now, you're going to want to find Bitcoin Well under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's a big show today, and we're grateful to have you here for it. In uh, just under 10 minutes from now, we'll talk to the chief of uh, Cowessus First Nation in Saskatchewan. I'm looking forward to checking in with Chief Cadmus DeLorme. We're going to talk about the, uh, the the groundbreaking project. I mean, this is uh, the first of its kind in the country uh, that will see the community retake jurisdiction of its child welfare. We'll find out why that's a big deal. Uh, we're going to talk to... Uh, Chief DeLorme about we're, we're going to put a comment in front of him from a guest of ours yesterday. Warren Kinsella will get him to respond to that. And of course, I want to find out more about the Cowessus First Nations solar project. They've got a really neat solar project. There's a lot going on out there um, under excellent leadership that's that's uh, seeing national attention. Of course, many Canadians are familiar or have been familiarizing themselves with with the Cowessus First Nation. Because 751 unmarked graves were discovered there uh, on the grounds of or near a former residential school. And it's it's been a community, I think, that it's safe to say in the past number of weeks has had Canadians hearts and has had Canadians attention. And I'm curious to hear from Chief how the community is doing, uh, how his community members are doing. And that's coming up in about 10 minutes time. We're also going to be talking to the mayor and a counselor out of the town of Slave Lake, his worship Tyler Warman and counselor Sean Gramlich are coming back on the show. You remember this? They were with us in January when when the story broke that uh, their MLA, Pat Rain, had been one of the United Conservative MLAs that had traveled over the course of the holiday break, the Christmas break. He'd gone down to Mexico and posted photos of it on his Facebook. People were outraged and there were calls for him to resign, including from the mayor and at that time, deputy mayor, now counselor. So uh, we thought it might be a good idea to get these two back. I can't believe it's been the, the history, the track record of Real Talk. We can now say things like they were here half a year ago. Yeah. You know, They were here back in January. And now we're going to bring him back in July. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. How does the community feel about their MLA being welcomed back into the United Conservative Caucus? Pat Rain was booted shortly after that interview that we did here on Real Talk. Precisely. And I think it's also, I mean, what the argument that's being made is that he's being welcomed back because the community has said, you know, resoundingly, yes, we want him back. So it'll be interesting to talk to some actual community members being the mayor and and a counselor from uh, Slave Lake. We'll see how they feel about it. We'll see if it's true. Has he has he earned the trust back of his constituents? Do they do they endorse the move to come back and and maybe uh do I say this before? I mean, because they're, you know, they maybe they're listening right now. I don't know if you if we want to sort of start teeing up questions that we're going to ask them, but I'd be curious to know why they think 
Pat Rain is welcome back into caucus. It's a bit of a it'd be a bit of a jerk move on my part as an interviewer to put him in that position and ask the question. But, you know, you can always say, hey, what you know, just, you know, person to person. What are your thoughts on this? Because there's much speculation. We had thrown it out there yesterday that if you have four elected MLAs in, in a provincial legislature, it gives you official party status that comes with things like uh, increased funding for staff and increased resources. And we wondered if maybe these independents, three of them at the time, you know, Pat Rain, Todd Lowen and Drew Barnes, these former uh, Alberta politicians, United Conservative politicians, all sitting as independents because they'd been booted. If with the addition of one more might find themselves with official party status. We heard from a, some viewers and uh, some of the, our podcast subscribers. Huge shout out to you. We always get your emails a little later on in the day. We love it because that's when you download it. That's when you're walking your dogs or typing away at your desk or, or driving around doing whatever it is that you're doing when you catch the podcast. So we get your feedback a little later in the day. And several of you were saying, well, Jason, Kenny, the premier's got this leadership review coming up you know it, it makes perfect sense that he's going to you know get support wherever he can find it and perhaps he'll earn some loyalty the premier will from pat rain by bringing him back we're also going to have a conversation i don't know if you caught me catching myself i don't know why i paused there briefly because i was going to say we're also going to have kind of a an uncomfortable conversation but why does it have to be uncomfortable why am i uncomfortable I don't know why it would be uncomfortable. We're having a conversation about disability and sex. Hoyles. <laughs> I like watching you squirm. It's it's great. I don't um, know why. I don't know why I'm squirming. Why am I? Squ- I don't know. Well, why because sex. We don't we, even just any round table on sex yeah. might might make let's me squirm a little. Sex, let's baby. baby. Let's so, talk about. So how did this come about? Well, it's Disability Pride Month, and uh, I just I really felt like. You know, we could we could do the, you know, toot the horns around. Hey, we're it's Disability Pride Month, but I want to talk about real, real topics that that uh, you don't want BS. You don't want fluff. I don't want fluff. You don't want boring. Mail it in. You know, tell us about the top three things that people should have. Hang on a second, though. I don't want to be that. That's already that's happening. We do that. We do that. And that's important. I don't want to take a crap on that. That's important. But you you were seeking and I've watched you work through this plexiglass. (laughs) You've been seeking interesting, meaningful, under discussed subject matter. Exactly. Bing, bang. You just like nail on the head on that one. Exactly. And so to me, it's also if we're hitting that. I mean, I don't go to just get spicy topics just for the sake of getting spicy topics I unless think, it gets us a million views in which case we totally endorse you going to get super <laughs> spicy topics just to get them but i think that we can do it by having really important conversations that are also spicy yeah it's going to be a good show uh so plus trash talk i am uh i was i was just sitting here and i had a very difficult assignment today because i put it out to you real talkers i said you know what i would love to see I said I would love to see some trash talks that have nothing to do with politics. We talk politics a lot. That's great. You could. T- some people would say we should talk politics more. But every once in a while, I want to prove to the world that our wheelhouse is bigger and that we can talk about other things. And so I decided uh, I decided to go with a politic free trash talk today. Yeah, Ooh. absolutely. One hundred percent politics free. And so while we do have some good emails, and this is a bit of a heads up for some of you that have sent in fantastic and phenomenal emails, there's one about a nurse's salary rollback Mm. that is my computer is still hot from viewing it. 
the language was astounding the the fury was palpable but i'm not reading it at least not in trash talk okay okay i was like it's, i think it's i think a gooder. i think it'll find its way to the air at some point maybe not today okay. we'll see because the show's got some heaviness, the show's got some positivity, the show's got a whole ton of meaning to it, which I'm looking forward to as well. So we'll see if that email gets read. But a politics-free version of trash talk coming up, and then we've got some emails. This was this was I was I was kind of oh boy, I'm going to get us more emails if I say I was chuckling a little bit yesterday. But it was a bit of a first for you yesterday in a way. Not to make this about you, but you know what I'm talking about. Yesterday, your email inbox looked a little bit different for the first time in a while in your relatively uh, recent or young history, let's say. Well, I'm still in the probationary period As the, here, yeah, folks. Yeah, I mean, so all of our fingers are crossed that, that, I Sarah, stick around. that Sarah will make it through her probationary period. Fingers crossed. But but there was it was a bit of a different experience oh, for you yeah. in, the, in the email inbox yesterday. Can, can you tell? And we have not teed this up. We've not discussed this ahead of time. I want to see if you hit the nail on the head, and I want to see... If you reference what I'm doing my best to vaguely and obviously reference. <laughs> you're just going to leave it. You're just going to shovel it over. Your experience to- yesterday in your inbox. How would you characterize it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of uncomfortable, speaking of spicy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'm here for it. I, I appreciate when people are not. What were they writing you about? Uh <laughs> our first our Warren Kinsella yeah, yeah Warren Kinsella is what I'm getting yeah. at yeah people are fucking pissed that we talked to Warren Kinsella yeah and uh and Twitter's lighting up and this and I just want to remind everybody the show is called Real Talk there are going to be interviews with mm. people that you don't agree with and we will never apologize for it so um I got this one from Karen and her email said that's not a joke and her email says two thumbs down in the subject line she says to say I was dismayed when I saw your first guest on Thursday was to be Warren Kinsella would be an understatement. He is a well-known anti-Trudeau troll. Make sure everybody you spread the word that there was somebody on Real Talk out of Edmonton, Alberta, that was speaking against Justin Trudeau. Tell your friends, tell your uncle who's ripping me at the family barbecue this weekend. You let him know that Warren Kinsella was on the show. Karen says he's always trying to smear the prime minister, but I was even more dismayed, Ryan, by you. What the hell? She says, you are renowned, thank you, for not accepting bullshit, but you let him spew it for the entire interview without challenging him on a damn thing. What the absolute hell, says Karen. Sorry to the families that are having family breakfast time tuning into Real Talk right now. Yeah, that removed the explicit. That removed the explicit. Shout out to our... (laughs) friends in the McAllister household that made the move to remove the explicit parental block on their YouTube so the 12-year-old could tune in. Absolutely amazing. Karen says, I had to re-watch the entire interview, thank you, before writing this because I wanted to make sure I hadn't missed anything before I gave you a piece of my mind. She, she goes on to say, and, and uh, listen, I'm going to have some fun with this because <clears throat> when, when you get emails like this, when you've been getting emails like this for about 15 years and when people call you yesterday, I was, I was described online as a liberal honeypot. I had to go search what a honeypot is. What is it? Well, it's somebody who, who uses sexual enticement to convince people to achieve political goals. So I was sort of, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was described yesterday as a liberal honeypot. 
I was described yesterday as a right-wing shill. I was described as a wolf in sheep's clothing. So you got to chuckle every once in a while, but I'll read the email. She says, first of all, Shannon Van Rays is not the prime minister's personal photographer, yet you let Warren Kinsella state, quote, who brings a personal photographer to a funeral? Then Karen says there was a similar photo of Saskatchewan's Premier Scott Moe at the cemetery after the event, which is true, except for the only thing is Warren Kinsella hadn't written a column about Scott Moe, but it's true and it's valid and it's relevant. She says that was taken by the press pool as well. She says after continued smears like him describing Trudeau as the worst prime minister in a generation, there's nothing authentic about him and he seems like a phony. She says, I didn't hear you challenge him to drop the slams and to articulate a reasoned argument against the government's policies. It was all crap and it was painful to listen to. So what Karen, I guess, wants me to do is when 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 someone comes on the show and shares their opinion that Justin Trudeau is the worst prime minister in a generation, I should immediately jump to his defense and say, what are you possibly talking about, Karen? He's fantastic and amazing and wonderful. How could you what, what are you talking about, Karen? He's the best. Not only is he not the worst, he's the best. She says you questioned Justin Trudeau's achievements, which what I think by that, what I think she means is I asked Warren Kinsella how he would characterize Justin Trudeau's legacy or what he would describe it as his greatest achievement. And she says he dismissively stated that it was limited to cannabis legislation. And then he tried to credit Jody Wilson-Raybould. Karen says, I could think off the top of my head, many things that could be identified. Let me know when uh, Chief's ready, by the way, because we can jump out of this at any time. It's a long email. She says, renegotiating NAFTA. That's Christia Freeland, Karen. She says, the Canada Child Benefit, Syrian refugees, medical assistance in dying, an impending ban on conversion therapy. I don't give politicians credit for anything impending. Buying a flipping pipeline. Yep. Talked about that yesterday. We've talked about that a lot. Leading us through the once in a century crisis that was COVID. Sure. I mean, this is written by a cheerleader, though. Can you imagine if I'm doing this interview with a guy that he fucking hates Trudeau? Obviously, I asked him, hey, Warren, what do you say to people that say that you're clouded and you have an axe to grind? And really, this shouldn't be taken seriously because you can't stand the guy personally. And Warren Kinsella says, I don't care. I don't care at all what anybody thinks. And we laughed. That's a candid moment. That's insight. It's obvious he doesn't like Justin Trudeau. Guess what? If Aaron O'Toole were ever to come on the show, he doesn't like Justin Trudeau very much either. Jason Kenney doesn't like Justin Trudeau. About 3.76 million Albertans don't really have a thing for Justin Trudeau. They're still welcome to voice their opinions and share them on the show. Investing millions to clean up abandoned oil wells. Undoing crap Harper did. Like, that's the point. Come on, Warren. What about all? What about when he undid all the crap Harper did? Like, Karen, maybe I should have just worn all red. You know what I mean? Maybe declare my candidacy for Edmonton Center at the same time. And changing the Senate from a partisan mess to a nonpartisan institution. Justin Trudeau gets the credit for that, I guess. When you asked him who is the heir apparent, you didn't think to suggest Christian Freeland? I wasn't interviewing myself. If you'd like, you can go back in our archive and you can see me talking to Christian Freeland about being the favorite to be the next prime minister. And she said that Warren seems to find 
the prime minister's assertion that he's a feminist to be distasteful. I thought that was an interesting one where Kinsella comes on and he says, people say the same thing about allies, the word ally. They say you can't describe yourself or appoint yourself to be an ally. And yesterday, Warren seemed to imply that he doesn't think that you can self-identify or self-describe as a feminist. When he said that, what did that, what did you think about that? Hmm. I mean, I think it's important that men acknowledge that they believe in uh, equity and equality. Yeah. Uh, and yes, if a man says, I am a feminist, awesome. However, <laughs> it's more, you know... In the pudding, it's more in... Yeah, proof. You're looking for proof. Yeah. So I, I, when I've heard that term used and used in like on social media and mm-hmm. like trying to get the likes, um, yeah, I, I pause and yeah. question. Well, I, I kind of wonder if it's maybe something, maybe this is a matter of personal opinion. Um, I view feminist, the word, in the same way as maybe like something like environmentalist. Where you, where you might say, I would like to hold people to account on that. But I sort of look at feminists, this is my personal opinion, obviously, as a man, first of all. Um, but my personal opinion would be, <clears throat> I would think that everybody should be a feminist. If feminism at its core, I'm not talking about, once we start getting into like intersectional feminist, like people that are like higher level can really get into this. We could talk to, you know, third prof- wave, professors second wave, of, first exactly, wave. Exactly, yeah. right? Well, then they go, well, how do you describe and define? I'm, I'm talking at a basic general level. If you're basic understanding (laughs) if your basic understanding of feminism is that you know to really dumb it down women are equal to men in all facets and all understandings then i would suggest that everybody should be a feminist if you're not you're a jerk um in the same way that you know everyone should be an environmentalist in other words you care about the environment but whether or not you live it out i mean if you're going to go ahead and and portray yourself or proclaim yourself to Mm. be a feminist then then you better be walking the walk and i think that's that is the that is the point yeah. is that if you proclaim yourself to be a feminist, then what you doing about it and like, how are you showing it? Um, I mean, feminist is a loaded word. It's been used to uh, dismiss and, you know, yeah, kind of push women further into the recesses. So when a man says it, it's like it's like how white people need to be anti-racist it's the oppressor needs to be the one that stands up and doesn't, it's not the, the people that are oppressed uh, that need to be the ones that, that push back. Tracy says, I, I get what Karen's saying on the live chat. Tracy, what's up? Good morning. She says, we feel like Trudeau's the prime minister's always attacked while he hands more money to Alberta than any other province over the past year. And I get it. She's frustrated. And Ryan is also not wrong that from Tracy. <laughs> Michelle Michelle says I missed yesterday and I am now even more eager to catch up. Well done, Michelle. And uh Nicole says Ryan trashed or rather Warren trashed them all. <laughs> he said Warren can, uh, he said that Aaron O'Toole doesn't have a, Aaron O'Toole doesn't have a chance either. Yeah. I mean people were coming on and saying like he's a he's a conservative operative and you bring a, even if he was a conservative operative like everybody everybody wants political operatives on a show as long as they agree with what the operative mm. is saying you know if i brought somebody on to absolutely roast aaron o'toole i'd be getting the same emails from different people or i'd be getting different emails from the same people that would say how much they loved it karen says you ended the interview by saying i enjoyed the column sigh she says you said 
some of you think he's right on about Warren and some of you can't stand him. It made me have faith in your listeners that so many saw through his garbage. No, Ryan, this was not a perfect guest booking. It was. It gave an unchallenged platform to a very nasty man who filled your platform with slams and lies. Is the prime minister perfect? Of course not. But to allow this cynical appraisal from this man to go unquestioned merely adds to the cynicism and decreases people's willingness to engage with the political process respectfully, even with the swears. Karen. First of all, Karen, I would love to buy you lunch and hang out sometime. Second of all, I'm so grateful you're so engaged. Third, it's okay that you're a bit pissed off. Fourth, no problem that you didn't love the guest. And five, I hope you're back today and hearing me read your email right off the top of the show. Have an amazing weekend. Thank you. Keep the emails coming. Keep it civil. Maybe don't call me a honeypot again. If I could just make one request, honeypot just felt a little weird. Wolf in sheep's clothing, they've been calling me that since I was 14. They used to put me out on the basketball court in high school. They didn't know which team I was playing for. Sometimes it would be such a disaster. This interview is presented. This show, of course, is, is, is here because of our partners. And if we didn't have partners like Alta Moving and Storage, quite frankly, we wouldn't be with you every morning. If you check out altastorage.ca right now, you're going to find a direct link to Edmonton's number one portable storage and moving service. They can get you an instant and free quote in minutes. You can book now to make sure that your move this summer isn't filled with the stress and anxiety and some of the emotions that can come with being rushed through the process. We got tagged in a tweet this week. I'm going to show it to you next week. Because I, I realized I'm, I'm going to wipe the name and the, some of the details off the tweet. They didn't, they didn't necessarily ask us to use it in advertising, but it was somebody that tagged our show because they had a miserable, they had a horrible experience moving. And then when they tagged our show, I noticed that they did not hire Alta Moving in Storage. And I kind of thought, you, I mean, you want us to say I told you so? Is that what you want? Is that why you're tagging us? People go to Alta Moving and Storage because they don't feel the stress. They have these pod-style moving containers. Everything happens at your own pace. They're family-owned. They understand what a move involves, and they want to be your first choice. When you go to Alta Moving and Storage, you let them know that Real Talk sent you. Also, a big shout-out to the team at Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. You'll be able to see how they are turning people's dreams into reality for more than 20 years this custom landscape builder has been bringing outdoor spaces to life. When I think of them, they give us this big long list of things we can mention. They say, here's all the things we can do. And they say like, we can do big planter boxes or retaining walls or water features. For me, it's always the outdoor kitchen that resonates. Like if I were to, if I were to sort of win, like not the lottery, not the 65 million lottery, but like the 1 million lottery where you go, we can kind of splurge on one fun thing. It would be the outdoor kitchen. And I would go over the top. And I would do it with Eden Landscaping. You can find out more at landscapeedmonton.ca. Well, it was a, a number uh, that rocked the nation. Every single one of the 751 orange flags representing a young indigenous child that had been in the care of those that were operating a residential school near or in the Cowessus First Nation in Saskatchewan. 
The discovery through ground-penetrating radar has rocked this country. And through it all, the leader of this community, Chief Cadmus DeLorme, has held steadfast, demonstrating what empathy and leadership looks like. It is an honor to welcome Chief DeLorme to the program this morning. Welcome to Real Talk, and thank you for making time for us. Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity. Chief, I have so many things I want to ask you about, including some really incredible and inspiring things that are happening in your community right now. But a couple of weeks now after this discovery, how would you characterize where your community is at and, and, and what you're perceiving as you talk to your fellow community members? Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to mention that um, if there are survivors or family and friends of survivors, there is a one eight six six number to call. This is uh, sometimes could be triggering in, in, in what we have all uh, um, are now realizing the truth is. I just wanted to clarify that the unmarked graves are, are not just children. Um, the unmarked graves, um, do, there are some adults there, I, I, and it is not a mass grave site. The two and a half weeks have been um, overwhelming, a uh, roller coaster of emotions. Uh, the uh, sharing of our numbers two and a half weeks ago uh, was triggering to many, uh, was a shock to Canada, and was a truth that, that we all are um, now um, just coming to understand and realize the amount of uh, media wanting to know more and Canadians standing beside us and international news um, interested and uh, the visits we have gotten. Um, Canada uh, is, is, you know, on the right track to this truth. And, um, you know, Kausis is grateful for everybody who has stood beside us since we announced. Um, I, you know, I, I would imagine and I heard you speaking with my friend Ian Hannah Mansing, uh, an extremely powerful interview where you described to Ian the beginning stages of, of this effort uh, with the radar. And, and you told him and I'm hoping that you can shine some light on this for our audience that you had originally purchased. I think you said two or three hundred of these little flags, uh, not knowing exactly uh, what you might find. You, you wound up needing at least seven hundred and fifty one of them. You talk about the impact it's had on the community, including retry traumatizing survivors uh, and storytellers. We've been speaking to some mental health experts uh, about that very thing. How did you prepare your community and how did you prepare yourself, Chief? I can't imagine that this has been, uh, I, I mean, this has got to be perhaps the biggest test of your leadership in your entire career. Is that accurate? It is one that uh, in my journey, personally, I um, have learned so much about myself and um I've been chief for five and a half years now. I grew up on houses. My parents are residential school survivors. And uh, I know it's my duty um, to show residential school survivors that an Indigenous person in Canada, in this world, could, could be proud of who they are and, and walk into any room. And that's, that's, you know, what I train myself to do one day at a time. Uh, the spokesperson for cows is, um, you know, just, just keeping it calm you know, asking for unity in, in a time of um, unknown is, is you know, what the elders, is, is what many have, you know, asked of this. And so, you know, I've been grounded by talking with my knowledge keepers, my elders, and in, in Indigenous ideology, those are the ones that have the most to share. So, you know, just making sure they're all right. The biggest challenge um, is, is the amount of messages and where we're missing when it comes to people reaching out for help. Like some of the most strongest willed people that I have ever known, this has triggered them. 
And how do we make sure we have services readily available to, to be there? We, we are trying to catch up with that. Um, but, you know, we, we're getting stronger and, you know, we're going to persevere. And this is something that Cowses has wanted to do for a while. When we purchased those flags at the beginning, we didn't know how much were there. We always knew these, these unmarked graves were here, that that was a given. But we had went to Home Depot, purchased 200 of the orange flags, uh, 44,000 square meters. We used up those flags in the first day and a half. So we purchased more. And when we got to the 600, we were like, okay, like what, what is the real story here? And that's when it really started to impact many. Has it, has it changed the way that you feel about not just the legacy of the, and I'm not using that in a complimentary sense, obviously, but but even the presence of that building. I mean, how, how have you been processing it? Has it changed your awareness around it? It's um, it's more emotional. It's it's more real. It's more um, animate, alive. Uh, before it, it, you know, you looked at that area and, you know, you were just always like, well, there's unmarked graves here, you know, and, and the, ro- the, the the church is no longer there. Um, the residential school is no longer there, but we know the locations that they were at. It, um, it has brought that place to uh, a place of mourning right now, you know, and we are already preparing to make it a place of healing and a place for people to go and, um, you know, give their, their, their gratitude, their, their condolences, but also go there for strength, knowing that those unmarked graves are going to be marked now. And, you know, our main focus is to put names to those graves. I think that will be very uplifting when that day comes. Extremely powerful. I would imagine uh, uh, chief floor. How did, how did the community decide or under your leadership, how was the decision made th- that that is what would happen here? There's, there's been some uh, conversation obviously uh, ab- about what the proper response uh, to these discoveries is across the country. I think it probably goes without saying that it will be community by community and that decisions may differ. How did your community come to the decision on, on how to move forward? The end goal we agree on. And, and just like any society, any or social organization, we do agree, disagree on how to get to that end goal. The end goal is to mark the graves, put names on them. Um, we have some, um, you know, houses, members, citizens that, um, you know, um, some just just want to just just leave it, just leave it as is, just 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 you know, let let the, let the, you know let it rest. Others want to make sure every name is marked. And others, you know, are just in support of, you know, what is going on and they look forward to, to more discussions. So the main thing is, is the end goal is to put a um, marker on each hit, uh, confirm each hit. We're still actually at the final stages of our final numbers. Uh, there is a 10% error with the radar system. We have brought in a few other <clears throat> technical areas like cadaver dogs, just, just to confirm everything. And so, you know, how to get to the end goal is where, you know, those conversations continue. Chief, what was with regards to the fate of the church and the residential school? You mentioned that they're no longer standing. I've actually not heard the story of how, of how that came about at Cowsis First Nation. Were those uh, torn down as a result of the, you know, as in, in to, to reflect the wishes of the community or what was the story there? 
Our uh, Maryville Residential School, um, four-story building, brick building, um, was e- erected in 1898. Uh, the doors closed in 1996. And the community at that time, I was in grade 10, the community at that time decided we didn't want it there. So it was uh, brought down in 1997. Um in 2018, the church still remained there, and uh, the church uh, burnt down. Okay. Um, so the church was never um, um, rebuilt. Um, so, so those two, um, kind of the last two buildings that were uh, significant to the gravesite, to the residential school, are no longer there. Just out of curiosity, was the, was the fire, do you believe the fire was an arson? There was no conclusion to the reason that it it was um it was burnt um the rcmp did do their investigation uh but as chief and counsel we were never given the final report just as of yet Mm. um the church started burning at about 1 a.m and because it was so old by 5 a.m it was already down to the foundation I see. Um, Chief, you you uh, obviously have been have been the I mean, the focus, I think, in, in, in many different contexts across the country, most especially um, after your First Nation made history, uh, an announcement alongside the prime minister and uh, Saskatchewan's premier, Scott Moe, signing an agreement that will see your community retake jurisdiction of its child welfare. Now, I know that this was a reflective of a decision by your members of, of the Calus's First Nation back in March of 2020, uh, when your community decided it wanted to assert its right for children and families in need of help under Bill C-92, if people want to Google it and look it up, which empowers Indigenous communities to reclaim jurisdiction. You're being described, and your community is, as a trailblazer. I can see the smile on your face. I can tell that you are so proud of this. How come? You know, the celebration was shared with the world the over 100 hours of discussion to get to that celebration um is is why i'm smiling we we it it took hours upon hours of discussion um educating you know cows first nation we never gave up jurisdiction to our children in care and and really quickly i i will give you a 30 second chronological of how we got to this point in 1876, the Indian Act was implemented on cows. No one came to cows and asked us if we agreed with it. Canada just implemented it on cows. And the Indian Act had one purpose, to, to, to imprison our minds. In 1951, the province of Saskatchewan said, listen, we're taking Section 88 of the Indian Act and we're going to have jurisdiction over cows' children. No one ever come and asked cows if, 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 if they wanted it. And so in 2021, April, Houses looked at Canada, looked at the province, and listen, we never gave up jurisdiction. This jurisdiction is ours through our law, the Mio Pima Tisuena. You will respect it out of your uh, democracy on, on your side with Section 35 of the Constitution and now uh, the Bill C-92. The Premier agreed, the Prime Minister agreed, and they came to Cowses and uh, they said, yes, Cowses, this is your jurisdiction. Chief, was that a? I want to ask you how it how it will be implemented, and what I would imagine wheels are in motion already, and obviously this will mark a, a significant change. I think in how you know programs are offered, or supports are delivered, and obviously the entire country will be watching, uh, including First Nations uh, that I would imagine will be eager to take that same step. Was it a quick conversation with the Prime Minister's office, with Premier Mo's office? It it um. 
the hard work of the 99 hours of meetings was um, understanding what a coordination agreement was. We were the first out of the gates to start one. So there was no template. There was no, um, you know, there was no other coordination agreement. So we, we built it from, from the ground up. And so that part was, was the, you know, the hard, hard work. And then at some point, you know, the bureaucrats could do so much and then it gets into the political atmosphere. It had to go to Treasury Board. The, the fiscal agreement had to be agreed to. And um, so so that took a couple extra months. And that's where Premier Mo, Prime Minister Trudeau, myself, uh, ministers, we just kept talking and talking and nudging and nudging. And, you know, the timing just came right um, that, you know, it was now time to sign the coordination agreement. Chief, I, I don't want to put you in a tough spot here, but I, we, we talked to Warren Kinsella yesterday. It's obvious there's no love lost between Mr. Kinsella, a former aide to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, and current Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. He, he, he asserts that there's, that there's no photo op. The Prime Minister has never met a photo op he didn't love. And he's written an entire column that got the country talking uh, based on an image that captured him in your community. Um, kneeling down at an unmarked grave holding a teddy bear. I want to get your response and your insight into what it's been like dealing with this prime minister and his government. Here's, here's just a quick portion of what Warren Kinsella had to say yesterday right here on Real Talk. You don't bring a damn photographer who's subsidized by the taxpayer, by the way, take pictures of you holding a teddy bear by a gravesite. It's like, you know, Trudeau, if you were really serious about indigenous issues, as you claim to be, then why haven't you made uh, made uh, faith on your promise about clean water advisories? You know, why are you fighting indigenous children in court right now? That was Warren Kinsella yesterday. How would you respond? Do you believe the prime minister has been taking so-called indigenous issues seriously? We, we all inherited this situation. Prime Minister Trudeau, Premier Mo, you and I. And um, I was standing there when Premier Mo and Prime Minister Trudeau each took a moment to reflect on one of the hit sites, one of the hits. And, you know, looking at the survivors of residential school, watch them. I seen tears in their eyes because they took a moment to, to reflect on the pain that we feel that is real. And, you know, it's tough being a leader. I'm, I'm, I got a Facebook book, book on cows is the group that don't like me. I mean, there, there ain't, there ain't no politician in this world that, that walks on, on water. Everybody has to make tough decisions. Cowsis and Canada, our relationship today is progressive. When we ask for something from the government of Canada for water, for governance, for child welfare, we go there with a plan. And, you know, sometimes there's a lot of questions, but Cowsis has been progressing in our economics, in our political sovereignty, in our social, um, you know, um, strength. Oh, my, my little guys here. It's okay. So, we love meeting you know, people's the, families. The, too. Uh, the, the, you know, in conclusion, you know, I, I, houses in Canada, we're on a good relationship. And, you know, one thing I like about this current government is they don't come to houses giving us options. They stand by houses and we give them our plan and they help us implement it financially. They help us implement it with, uh, you know, making sure we respect um, our laws and their laws in a hybrid system as, as, as we are. So, you know, I, I would leave it at that. I, 
I've seen the criticism on the photo ops. Premier Mo did it. Prime Minister Trudeau did it. I I recommended this when we were planning it. I was like, when we tour the gravesite, I would want each of you to to have a moment for for yourselves. Like this wasn't them saying we're going to do this. That entire day they were on houses. We we kind of set the agenda. Hmm. Let me ask you this before we. Thank you for your time. And by the way, it's not lost to me. Can I just say, I mean, the fact that your little one comes into the frame there and we can hear the ambient noise there of it's just it sounds wonderful. Actually, my heart is full hearing it. And isn't it, Chief, a wonderful reminder of probably why you're doing what you're doing, taking this position of leadership when you see your little one there? I, I love what I do. It's not an easy task. And, um, you know, our, our survivors it's okay. We can still hear you. Sorry, I'm on my phone. I got another call. All good. <laughs> I, uh, my, our, our survivors of residential school are are my motivation. Like they they are the ones that are guiding this through and through. Our youth and my little kids are are my my gasoline to the vehicle. I never a dull moment, and I look forward to the future we have. Um, in this country and and being a proud indigenous person. I love it. Um, I, uh, let me ask you this. You've teed this up beautifully, a nice little segue instead of, instead of the gasoline that fills your tank. Let me ask you about solar power because you've gone on record and now everybody, I mean, everybody's watching Kaos's first nation for a number of different reasons. Number one, obviously tragic 751. The number speaks for itself. Number two, this groundbreaking new arrangement around family supports, uh, which is fantastic. And obviously a lot of people are saying bigger picture. This needs to be a national conversation and number three you want to be the greenest first nation in canada we have a solar panel we have a solar system giveaway going on right now this is an audience right here on real talk that is all about sustainable energy how did this get on your radar and what does it actually mean what are the implications for your community I was a university student at First Nations University of Canada in 2012 when when my late father uh, the chief chief Grady Lara and the Cows's team um, um, erected the first turbine owned by a First Nation in this province and a purchase power agreement with the government of Saskatchewan SAS Power. And um, it was great. And so when I became chief in 2016, we assessed everything. We said, hey, listen, we got room in our purchase power agreement to put some solar panels. We put 400 kilowatts of solar panels. And uh, we then got 10 megawatts so we got a 10 megawatt solar field about to be erected in in regina about to be to be uh um, built uh we now have 400 kilowatts on the reserve net metering to save us around twenty thousand dollars a year in utility costs so we can put that to unfunded areas we're in the midst of doing a 200 megawatt turbine field just south of our first nation on land that we purchased we are stewards to children and children yet unborn. And yes, the GDP and the economy in this country, we do have a transition, a hybrid moment for the next decade here to, to try. Kauses wants to be the leader, which, you know, we are very happy with our team. We have an amazing team and we look forward to doing more renewable energy and helping others in understanding how they can do this as well. 
Chief Cadmus Delorme, it's it's uh, interviewers aren't supposed to gush about what big fans they are, or how much they admire the people that they talk to. We're supposed to be somewhat stoic and objective. Can I just say how absolutely impressed I am by your leadership, by your diplomacy? And I know that if you're not already, you're going to be a household name across this country. Uh, it really is remarkable what you're doing in the face of great challenge. And I'm so grateful and appreciative for your time today. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with this audience. Thank you for the opportunity. That's Chief Cadmus DeLorme, uh, Chief of the Cowessus First Nation out of Saskatchewan, an absolutely remarkable human being um, doing really great things. You can let us know what you thought about that. I know that sometimes these conversations will get you thinking about an angle where you go, wow, you know, what would be really neat is if we could follow up on that with this or something he said reminded me of this. Why do we look into that? You can be in touch with us anytime uh, by emailing talk at ryanjesperson.com and make a note of that email address because that's actually the same one you're going to need to enter your name into the mix for the Real Talk Net Zero Solar Contest presented by our friends at Kubi Energy. Do you know an unsung hero? Maybe it's you. <laughs> Do you know somebody that could really, really use an opportunity to get off the grid? to go net zero or as close as you can possibly get to that for the next 30 years or so. That's the estimated life of this system. Well, now's your chance to shine some light on a deserving recipient and win clean energy for the next three decades. All we want you to do is tell us your solar story. Why do you or this person that you know could be an organization? Why do they deserve solar how would it be a game changer we got a submission yesterday out of calgary i'm not going to say i'm not going to sway the audience because ultimately real talkers you're the ones that are going to vote on this this video submission out of calgary wow very compelling stuff others have taken the time to just email us some of you are sending us photos we're leaving it open we're giving you the option on how to tell your solar story all you have to do is get it into us by next friday Okay, so the contest closes next Friday, and then we're going to give you Real Talkers a week to vote on the top three. You can find out more details at kubienergy.ca slash realtalk. There is no catch. You're not going to wind up with any bill. Someone for free is going to win a solar system courtesy of Kubi Energy. Friesen Brothers wants to let you know right now they've got an Instagram contest up and I'm really excited about this one because next week, every single day next week, we're going to be giving away a Friesen Brothers barbecue pack. This is super cool. They've got their brand new brand of Friesen Brothers barbecue sauces. They're saying it could be the world's best barbecue sauce. We're talking original hickory, chicken and rib, honey garlic, sweet, tangy, rich, Maybe I'll go rich, sweet, tangy. That flows a little bit better. Hoyles, Sam, you guys in with the Friesen Brothers barbecue sauce? It's rich, sweet, sweet and tangy. tangy. It's okay. We'll I was it. a yeah, little no, bit. I missed the mark. Yeah, you know what, you two? Yeah. I, I, Sam's behind the scenes getting the round table organized. Hoyles is producing and watching the hashtag, and, and I put you both on the spot. But by Monday, we'll remind you that the Friesen Brothers barbecue sauces are rich and sweet and tangy. tangy. Yes. I think I'm tangy. You got in on tangy, but you know what? <laughs> These could be different barbecue sauces. Maybe you're more tangy. Maybe Sam's a little more sweet. I'm definitely not rich, but I'd love to try the Friesen Brothers barbecue sauce. So how do you qualify to win? Everyone's like, Jesperson, just give us the details. 
You got to go follow Friesen Brothers on Instagram. You got to follow me to like their post. Yeah, it's one of those. And then you got to tell us. Just follow the instructions on the Friesen Brothers Instagram. Tell us about your favorite product that you like to throw on the grill that you're picking up at Friesen Brothers. You can see that Instagram post by following Friesen Brothers on Instagram. Every Friday, right around this time, we get into our Real Talk Rounds table. And of course, it's Disability Pride Month, as you know. And Sarah Hoyles, the producer of this show, has done an amazing job finding angles that are oftentimes under-discussed. And today, we're going to talk about disability and sex. And I'm so excited to have these three guests joining us, Bean Gill, Andrew Gerza, and Trish St. John. Let me introduce these three before we get into this. Bean is the founder and executive director of Reu, a, a neuro recovery program in our home city, our shared home city of Edmonton, Alberta. Her work focuses on increasing function for people with spinal cord injuries and associated disorders. Andrew Gerza is a disability awareness consultant. He is a self-described cripple content creator based out of Toronto, Ontario. His written work has been highlighted in Out Magazine, The Advocate, The Huffington Post. He hosts the Disability After Dark podcast, exploring sex and disability. And Trish St. John started Sensual Solutions 10 years ago after seeing a need for sexual health services for physically disabled adults. She has a business background in HR and she's based out of beautiful Vancouver, B.C. To the three of you, thank you so much for being here. Andrew, let's start with you. You've got this Disability After Dark podcast. At, at, at what moment, what prompted you to realize one day that this deserves a podcast? Nobody's talking about this. I got to start talking about this. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I, I realized quite early on, about five years ago, when I looked at the podcast space and realized, you know, they would have shows about disability on bigger shows like one or two episodes but there was nothing about sex and disability consistently on that platform and I thought well podcasting is easy and accessible for me let me try it out and just see what comes of it and that's kind of how it happened really how would you describe the the uptake on it I mean did you know right away you were on to something with regards to subscribers and downloads and some of the conversation that it was prompting I didn't look at the numbers because the numbers gave, gave me anxiety and I didn't really want to want to worry too much about, about my numbers. I just thought I'm going to put it out there and see what happens. But I mean, we're five years into it now and we're over 500,000 downloads. So, I mean, I guess that's good. I hope people enjoy it. And I just hope that people like the content that I put out. Yeah, I think I think when you, Andrew, when you've hit half a million downloads, I think you can safely suggest that people like it. I think people are enjoying it. Trish, you started you started Sensual Solutions about a decade ago now because you 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 saw a real need for sexual health services. What does that mean on, on the ground? I mean, what were you actually seeing in front of you? Uh, <clears throat> Good morning. Good morning. Uh, what I was seeing in front of me was uh, people who were in desperate need of some kind of human touch and unclear where to get it. Uh, no straight avenue for people or a resource for parents or the healthcare community. So I tried to fill a niche. Has it been a learning experience for you too? I mean, did you? Did oh, you... absolutely. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm a business person by trade. And uh, yes, there was a lot of um, fun things to learn about as well. Uh, but definitely um, my clients have taught me a lot. Can I can I just follow up real quick? And why don't we jump to one? I mean, what's one of the things that you've, you've really learned was sort of an epiphany that maybe you had over the last decade? The biggest thing that I learned the right away is that people with disabilities get horny, just like everybody else. 
and uh, that they they need an outlet. So a lot of people, um, I learned a lot about ableism and uh, from my clients and how to kind of navigate their disability and help them set up something that would work for them uh, as opposed to their caregiver or someone else in their family. I'm so I'm really looking forward to talking. I mean, the work of an intimacy coach is such a unique calling, and I'm, and I'm looking forward to following up on that. Uh, Bean, uh, for people that have not met you yet, uh, people should follow you on Instagram at Brandzoid. You are a force of nature. I will never forget the first time that I talked to you. I think it was in I think our first interview was like 2012 or 2013. It was it was right after uh, your, your incident, um, which, you know, you can share with us if you like. Um, but I remember one of our very first conversations. I'll never forget it. As a matter of fact, being to tell you the truth, it prompted this roundtable. I remember you saying to me, people with disabilities need sex, want sex, want to talk about sex, and we're not talking about it. So when did that when, did, did that sort of reiterate itself? Did that become obvious to you early on following your, your do you describe it as an injury yeah i do call it a spinal cord injury and first of all hello Hi. also i'm super like fangirling real hard right now first for ryan then for andrew and for trish i've been following you guys and like totally fangirling right now so i love this but yeah i do consider i do have a spinal cord injury it was non-traumatic i had a virus that attacked my spinal cord but it did throw me into this world. And then I was asked to speak at the U of A to a class of occupational therapy students about disability and sexuality. And it was very, very uncomfortable for me to talk about it, but it really pushed me into my, out of my comfort zone. And it really gave me that confidence to talk about these things that people often consider taboo. And, you know, like Trish says, and like Andrew has said, that people often think that people with disabilities are asexual as soon as you have a disability. And that's totally false. So I'm really glad that you're having this conversation today, and I'm super happy to be a part of it. Well, I'm so grateful that you're here, Bean, and it's so nice to reconnect as well. And it's a thrill as well, obviously, to, to meet Trish and Andrew for the first time. Andrew, when you, when you, you know, there's a comment here on our live chat from Lisa, who just says, you know, isn't it kind of funny how it's assumed that people with disabilities aren't, wouldn't just be like the rest of us. I mean, you sit here and, and you say, well, you know, I mean, Trish, you know, pe people with disabilities can get horny too. And you probably go, well, yeah, obviously I want you three to take this megaphone to take this platform and just talk to people and let, let's smash some misconceptions and, and let's talk about the truth here. I mean, Andrew, what's one of the things that you've really um, subject matter wise focused on with your work, with your writing and, and with your podcasting? What's a, what's a subject in this context that, that you think is really important for people to discuss? I mean, I think it's really important to smash those taboos. I think also it's important to talk about how sex and disability feels because if we do talk about sex and disability, and if an, a non-disabled person asks us about sex, if they dare to do that, um, then typically where they'll stop is, so how do you do it? How, do, how does that happen? And then there's no further discussion on how it feels for the person, what it's like for them, what are the emotional impacts of being a sexually active disabled person. No one's really discussing that. So my favorite place to be in the work that I do is to talk about how all of that feels on an emotional level. Mm. Is the emotion of it, Trish? I mean, first of all, let's say on the physical side, there's just the, there's the scratching the itch factor, which I think most people can relate to. But then the emotional side, too, is, is huge, obviously. 
well, we have to address that as, as our coaches uh, work with our clients. Yeah, there can be red flags that obviously um, sex, sexuality can often bring caring emotions and so forth. So how do we balance that between like a medical model and a relationship model? So our coaches will often not only um, uh, do the erotic stuff, but they'll also help with coaching on perhaps uh setting up a dating profile, uh, getting that person. It's the confidence building really that they're looking for and that they receive. Uh, and the hopes are that they can now express that love to someone else, uh, you know, and have a healthy, healthy relationship with people. Trish, when you're talking about healthy relationships, uh, and you're talking about some of these tools. And let's be clear. I mean, probably everybody on planet Earth could benefit from working with an intimacy coach. Um, but but do you find that with a lot of persons with disabilities, a lot of your clients, has there been almost a like a, a suppressed or, or, or almost has there been a, almost a denial of the pleasure? I mean, are some people do they have to become empowered to realize that they, too, can express themselves this way? Are you dealing in many cases coaching with the people that haven't experienced these human emotions and feelings and fulfillment? Correct, yes. Most of our clients are people who have never been touched in a sensual, caring, passionate way. They're touched every day, all over their body, except in areas that may bring them pleasure. Uh, and a lot of them have not uh, got the tools or the accessibility to be able to do self-love, masturbation, those topics. And so we get a lot of our clients in that. And we also get a lot of clients saying, how can I talk to my caregiver? How can I broach the subject that I'm a sexual being? And when should I do that? Should I be doing that in the hiring process? Yes. <laughs> yeah. mm, yes. Andrew, go ahead. I was just going to agree with Trish. I mean, I'm, I'm in a, a similar situation and where I live, I'm touched daily by by individuals you know by caregivers and you know there's there are boundaries you have to set with the caregiver and it's they're, it's very very strict in how it's done and i respect and, and believe in that but because of that many of us don't get the opportunity to explore our bodies either by ourselves or with somebody else so i agree that we need these outlets whether it be through an intimacy coach or sex worker or or through toys we need these outlets to really allow for our sensuality to be expressed. Are those resources there, Andrew? I would say given our laws in Canada about sex work, it's a gray area. I would say that for a lot of disabled people, the the uh, financial means to hire either an intimacy coach or a sex worker or even buy a toy are sometimes out of reach because of the social assistance programs that we live on don't give us enough often to survive. Um, so I would say they're there, but they're not in they're not in reach for us because of the social systems that we often have to rely on. Interesting, and th and then this this but this is this is why I love this roundtable and I love this conversation because this is not the type of conversation you would have when people are lobbying the federal government for funding or changing legislation. Andrew, it's not typically going to be, you know, we want to help persons with disabilities better explore their bodies or seek emotional or physical fulfillment, right? Nobody really talks about it at all. Yeah, it's unfortunate that it's not being talked about. And it's something I think, you know, in other countries, I know there are stipends and programs where people will get X amount of dollars a month to do whatever, whatever with, with it, whatever they choose. And I think we should be looking at that 
to explore should can you use that money to buy a sex toy can you use that money to work with a sex worker or an intimacy coach it's something that i think because it's not only a sexual thing we're talking about it's it's someone's overall well-being and i think when you have access to sex in your body you feel you feel better you feel more confident you feel more with yourself and i think if the government would look at at sex work as a viable option for disabled people to access people's feelings around disability and sex would change dramatically hmm. bean I, 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 can i ask you a personal question I, how when it, when it comes to talking about your sex life or talking about sex in general you've always been a, a really open book and you've always been really forthright um you're in an interesting scenario where you as a, as a young adult as a young woman experience an injury that changes your life with regards to your mobility um, obviously, many things remained unchanged and some things changed dramatically. What sort of an impact did the injury have on your sex life? Oh, huge. I mean, first thing when I was paralyzed and so my paralysis from my waist down, one of the very first thoughts I had was who's going to date the girl in a wheelchair? Right. That was one of my very first thoughts. And that's because I had the stigma because I believe that people wouldn't date people with disabilities. And that's the majority of society. That's how people think, because that's how we've been conditioned to think that people with disabilities don't matter. We don't need pleasure. We don't need intimacy. We're not even really considered humans if we really look at legislation and stuff like that. Right. And so that definitely changed. And then like the physical aspect of it. I mean, a lot of people lose full sensation. I have some sensation, which I'm really, really, really grateful for, but a lot of people lose all sensation. And when you lose all sensation, um, then it becomes more of a mental health thing, right? You have to think about things. How are these things going to make you feel? And a lot of my friends who are like males and females, quadriplegics who don't have any sensation, it's more of that, you know, let me get in the head game. Let me think about these things. Let me think about what it's, it might feel like or other parts of your body become body becomes erogenous zones other than like the parts that you can't feel right so there's lots of things spasticity comes into play right my legs are very very strong they will kick they will they will you know bend and stuff and when I don't want them to and so that comes into play too right so there's a lot of communication that has to happen with any partner that you have um, there has to be a lot of trust um, just being somebody in a wheelchair, there's a lot of vulnerability there because once I'm out of my chair, I'm a sitting duck, really, yeah. right? Andrew, yeah. I think you can relate to that too, yeah. right? But there's that, there has to be that trust there and there's so much more communication involved now when before there really didn't need to be. Andrew, that obviously resonated with you. I, I just have to agree with what Bean is saying. You know, as a wheelchair user and a full-time wheelchair user myself who needs Pretty much, I need what is considered in the care community full-time hands-on care. That's what I'm. That's what my care needs are referred to. So when I when I'm with a with a partner, I also need help getting out of my chair, being positioned, having my clothes removed and put back on. All of that means I have to trust somebody else. Means I have to rely on someone else. Who, if it's a 2 a.m. you know bar hopping hookup, I don't know this person. They're a stranger. So it's. There's a lot of there's a lot of trust that goes into this, and so that's also a, a, a lot a lot of the stuff that I talk about because we don't talk about that part. How do you tell somebody you've just met an hour ago how to do all these things for you and hope that the, that you're going to be okay and safe and and enjoy yourself? 
Yeah, I mean, well, well, let's ask Trish. How do you? Very carefully. <laughs> we start by taking a, a, a phone call from the client and get to know them. We ask for them, them to complete a client intake form. And then uh, we work to match them with the best coach that we have. Um, and then we go through a series of questions when they become a client uh, to make sure that we know their expectations. And it's just communication all the way through consent, consent, um, just checking in all the time. It's all about them. This is, I mean, these are, isn't it interesting? I mean, one of the sort of impressions I'm taking from this conversation early on is that a lot of the, a lot of the words that are jumping out, if we were to do a word cloud with this conversation, words like (laughs) consent and communication and trust and vulnerability, people would say these are indicators of sexual health or health and sexual relationships anyway. And then also on the flip side, you go, well, sometimes you just want to bang, right, Andrew? <laughs> like you're talking about how somebody I just met an hour ago, uh, I want to fuck. Like, I, I don't want to say, you know, or like it doesn't always have to be, you know, like, I guess trust. I shouldn't say that one. And always obviously consent. But things like, I mean, sex or sexuality can can mean so many different things to so many different people. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're right. And there are moments where you just want to fuck. But I think. And I wasn't sure if I could swear, so I felt weird saying that. But can, I, I yeah. think I, I think um, I think you know, with my sex worker that I work with primarily, I can say to him, "Today I want to have a more sensual session. I want to have a more relaxed session." Or I can say, "Like get in the bedroom and let's do this thing." Um, you know, and I think, but I, again, I think it comes down to the the types of discussions that we have to have as disabled individuals go so much deeper and have to. And I think. That's why it's problematic when people stop and say, oh, how do you have sex? Just tell me now. Like, that's not, there's so much more to it that we're not willing to explore. And that's that's why I do what I do, because I think the emotional side of this is an uncharted territory and we need to talk about it more. Yeah, absolutely. So, Bean, do you think that, uh, first of all, can I ask the three of you, what's your preferred vernacular what do you what do you prefer to refer to somebody if i say like there's there's a person with disability but i don't want to say people without disabilities because everybody has challenge you know what i mean like how do you describe what do you say even if you say able-bodied i mean look at bean bean looks like she competing in the olympics right now it's not bean is not not able-bodied what's your preferred phrasing here do you have seven more hours (laughs) well we kind of do but what what would you say (laughs) Uh, for me personally, I would say my 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 preferred language is disabled. Yeah. Um, and if I'm speaking about a not, I'm speaking about an able-bodied person. I would say non-disabled. Okay. Um, so, Bean, is there's this? I mean, you say to us, you know, one of your first thoughts was who's going to want to date the girl in the wheelchair? Um, you know, I don't want this conversation should not. Be, it's not limiting anybody to anybody. It's not limiting relationships or pigeonholing connections. So, do you think that? You know, when, when it comes to the description of, you know, we have to talk about my vulnerability when I'm out of the chair. Here's what I might need you to do. Or this is how this might be a little bit different. Are most people without disabilities or most able-bodied people have everyone to describe them just a, just a little too nervous? And it, it maybe just do you think that's the biggest barrier? What's the biggest barrier? I think fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of anything different. And that stems from when we're little kids. Right. It's just uh, it's kind of like, you know, that's how racism is. Right. Racism is basically fear and hatred of somebody that's different. 
And it's no different than people with, with disabilities, right? It's just that fear of, I don't know what this is going to be like, or maybe the fear of like, they're going to need so much for me. I'm going to have to do everything for them. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't want to do that. Or, um, you know, I don't want to hurt them, right? There's that fear of pain. If, what if I do something and I hurt them? I don't want to do that. And I think it's just a lot of uh, fear. And I think if people just ended up like talking to people with disabilities, a lot of that fear would dissipate because they would realize that we're just regular people too. Mm. And we know our bodies, we are the expert of our own bodies, and we will tell you or communicate somehow, even if you're nonverbal, you can still communicate Mm -hmm. what your needs are and what your wants are. It's just being open enough to start that conversation and realizing, first of all, that you have these fears and the stigmas and the stereotypes. How, how do you prompt that conversation publicly, Trish? I mean, first of all, you, you appear on this show and you educate thousands of people just by being here, which is great. But but what's your specific advice in, in addressing what Beans just identified? Uh, excuse me. As far as uh, fear goes... Uh, Yes, we see it all the time. Um, We try and deal with, especially with parents of adult children with disabilities. They are uh, the ones that call in and ask for help. They're very concerned um, about their children and how they'll live and how they'll express themselves. And uh, these parents are advocates and they kind of help break down those barriers for our clients or future clients. And then what we see is a real a real boost in confidence. We see a boost in confidence, a boost in trust, a boost in dignity and respect, uh, which they may have not had before. Um, I mean, I, I think also if I could just jump in on what B and Trish were saying, because I think the fear goes both ways. We talk about that the able-bodied person or the non-disabled person is afraid. Well, guess what? So is the disabled person entering into this experience for the first time too. They're afraid that the non-disabled, their non-disabled partner, if they are non-disabled or disabled too, that they're afraid that their partner is going to leave, that their their partner is going to leave them in the middle of their, you know, leave them without care or leave them because they're scared. They're afraid of being too much for the person. They're afraid, like all the things that being identified that an able-bodied person might be fearful of, a disabled person knows this and does oftentimes does a lot of things to minimize how much care they'll need from an able-bodied partner because they know the person might might leave out of fear. So we don't often get to express ourselves fully because we're playing this game where we hide ourselves from an able-bodied partner because we don't want them to be too afraid. Hmm. Bean, how is your perspective or your approach on, on sexuality in, in the context of, of your disability um, how has it evolved over the past, coming up on 10 years now? Well, it's evolved a lot. And I think a lot of that has to do with what Trish says is confidence, mm. right? In the beginning, I was not confident. I was very insecure. I did not feel sexy. I didn't even feel like myself. It took me a long time to really love myself in this body, in this chair, and to be able to like just go out to people and be like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm good with who I am and I want to find somebody who's good with who they are and that's a big part of it and like that insecurity stuff is still there I'm human being obviously not confident all the time right but it's just really learning to love yourself and that's a daily practice that's not a oh I love myself now now I'm good forever (laughs) that's not how it works you have to work on it every single day and you have to really like 
you have to believe in yourself and know yourself, what your limits are, what, what pleasures you and, um, you know, what your boundaries are. Right. And I feel like a lot of people with disabilities maybe don't have those boundaries. And in the beginning, like I just thought that I couldn't have standards. I thought that if somebody wanted to date me that I, okay, cool. I will date you and I will stay with you because I have a disability now and nobody wants to date people with disabilities. So I'll just take whoever comes to me. Right. But that's such a wrong way of thinking. And I didn't realize that until like working with it through it with my therapist and watching reality TV shows and then seeing other people on the Internet who are disabled, who are going on dates and stuff. And like, what? This is a reality. This is real. Like there's so much to it that, you know, the stigma really holds people back. And that's why I say I had the stigma until I became a person with a disability. Bean, I don't know. I have to apologize because I don't know anything about your relationship status, so I don't want to sort of imply anything with my question. But but did you find that that with regards to how a social dynamic might go, did you have to become more assertive? In, in other words, if you're the type of person that like, you know, you're out in Vegas with your girls and every guy is going to be coming up to you or every girl for that matter, doesn't matter to me, obviously. And, and people come up to you and they want to buy you drinks. They want to dance with you. Um, they, they would love to explore your body and have you explore theirs. That's how life works. Did you find that once you incurred this injury or following your injury, did you have to become more forward? Yes. And <clears throat> like, yes, actually I did. Um, what, like, this is the stigma, right? So like I would go to the club with my friends and dudes would come up to my friends and tell my friends like, Hey, tell your friend, she's really pretty. Tell your friend she's really beautiful. Tell your friend I'm really proud of her for being in a club. And my friends would be like, why the fuck do you just go tell her? Yeah. And I would be the same thing. Like, you don't have enough courage to come talk to me. Or what are you, junior high? Like, right? Like, what the hell is this shit? But that's the stigma. People want to, I think people want you to feel good about yourself. So they try to give you these compliments. But at the same time, they don't want to be seen with the person with a disability. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like this weird, weird environment. I don't know. And then like, so I did online dating and for the record, I'm single and happily divorced. So I did online dating for a long time and I really hummed and hawed about putting my wheelchair in my profile picture, right? Do I do it? Do I not do it? I ended up doing it because I feel like it's false advertising if you don't put it in there. Mm -hmm. And then you're also attracting the wrong kind of people, right? And so for me, that was like the first filter. If it's not for you, swipe left, bro. I don't mm -hmm. want you either, right? I want somebody who wants me for me, not for because I'm in a wheelchair. Oh, I love I don't it. I know if I answered your question. Yeah, of course, uh, more than. Uh, Andrew, this is, it's kind of funny. I, I, I have to, I want to clarify that I'm, that I'm quoting this uh, because I feel weird using the word. I feel like you you know what I'm going to say. You've taken ownership. I know what you're gonna say. You know exactly what I'm going to say. In a <laughs> video on your website, you outlined, quote, things not to say to a cripple during sex. What's something you should, <laughs> I can't believe I'm using the word in a question. What's something you should never say to a cripple during sex? Well, I just want to clarify quickly that that's language that I have reclaimed for me. Absolutely. If you, see a, if you see a disabled person in the world, please don't run off to them and start yelling cripple. Don't, please don't do that. Absolutely. Um, but uh, what you should never say to a cripple during sex, please don't ask them if the genitals work. Please don't, <laughs> please don't do that. And please don't ask them, you know, will I hurt you? 
um, can you get it up? Things that are really, really inappropriate during a sexual act with somebody because a lot of people with disabilities have sensory issues where maybe their genitals don't look or, or feel or work the conventional way, but that doesn't mean they're not enjoying themselves. Mm. And so if you ask that stuff, it's a big turnoff because you're expecting them to be conventionally quote unquote normal. And sometimes that's not the case. And so I think we have to be really careful how we interact with somebody. And besides, if you, if it, if two able-bodied people were in the room and one of the partners said, Hey, can you get it up? Would you want to have sex with them right at that moment after they said that? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. So, so, I mean, just think of like, respect for an individual and remember that it might look and feel different than than non-disabled sex and that's fine it's fine people can read more about that by the way at andrewgerza.com uh andrew's podcast of course disability after dark you can find what trish st john does at sensualsolutions.ca i want to give each of you an opportunity because as is the case with a conversation like this we're going to end the conversation and then every single one of us all four are going to go ah i meant to talk about that we didn't talk about that so i want you to give us each of you one thing to think about here as we head into our weekends trish what would it be one thing to think about hmm well i can i can say we're hiring that's good news (laughs) (laughs) so 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 business is good oh that's amazing we're we're trying to expand we're trying to expand to some major cities we have a coach in montreal and uh, a couple in vancouver and vancouver island but we definitely need need more Okay, I think I know that a lot of people are going to hear this on the podcast. So let me just say, let me paint a picture with my words. Uh, Trish, you have the type of smile. You smile with your face, but you smile with your eyes, too. And I can tell that you just absolutely love what you do. I feel like you're called to it. And I feel like people would be lucky to work with and for you. CentralSolutions.ca. Bean, what's something we haven't addressed yet that you want people to think about as they make their way into the weekend? I think that all of us as humans deserve to have pleasure and intimacy. And that doesn't come just from the act of sex that comes from walking on the grass that comes from breathing fresh air. It comes from a uh, human touch, right? You can find pleasure and intimacy in everything in food, in wine, in whatever you're doing, you can find pleasure and intimacy and people with disabilities also want need and deserve pleasure and intimacy. Beautifully said. Andrew, my man, last word to you. Uh, one of the things I would I would say we, we need to talk about as we go into the weekend is that all of us will become disabled at some point in our lives. And all of us will want sexual pleasure when we become disabled or when, when something happens to us in our lives. So this is something we should be talking about now because when it happens to you, you're going to want the resources there. Unbelievable. The, the, the three of you, uh, I, I just want to thank you for your vulnerability, your openness, your honesty, and for teaching uh, so many of us so many things. Uh, Andrew Gerza, you can uh, subscribe to his podcast, Disability After Dark. Learn more at andrewgerza.com. You can apply to work with Trish St. John as an intimacy coach at sensualsolutions.ca and absolutely 100% follow Bean Gill on Instagram at Brandzoid and check out what she's doing with paralysis recovery. Amazing tech at ryu.ca. That's R-E-Y-U.ca. That's Bean Gill. Much respect to the three of you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Amazing conversation. Really appreciate that. And thanks for your thoughtful comments on the chat line as well. Although I have to be honest with this one. This is absolutely fantastic. 
Tony says, I've been so engrossed with the conversation. I realized I haven't even read the comments. I learned so much. I know sometimes this interview just resonates and you go, wow, it carries your full attention. We've got just 10 minutes with the mayor and a counselor out of the town of Slave Lake to them in just a moment. Their MLA is is back sitting in government caucus. But I want to remind you first that this interview, the one you just heard and the one you're about to hear is possible because we're running this big iMac and these MacBook Pros. The studio is powered by the team at Westworld Computers for more than 40 years. Family owned. They've been giving their customers on the business side, on the residential side, the tools they need to succeed on the tech front. And their service technicians have seen it all. You can book an appointment for service or you can shop the lineup right now at westworld.ca. They'll ship anywhere in Canada. The team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge ran into a guy yesterday. What a pleasure, by the way, to play out at the Petroleum Club's member guest tournament yesterday. A guy comes up to me and says, hey, what's this thing about the microchips and the inventory with these Ram trucks? I said, buddy, I just read the talking points. My understanding is that because of COVID and because of that Suez Canal debacle and because of the storms that hit Texas, these microchips that they need to build these trucks, and it's not just Ram trucks, they're in short supply. And that means that inventory is pretty low. So it becomes more important that St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge, first of all, they carry more in their lineup than any other dealership. Plus, they work together, same ownership group, so they can share inventory between dealerships. If you're looking for a Ram truck to pull your trailer, to pull your toy hauler, to pull your boat, look no further than St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Well, it was announced earlier this week that Pat Rain, he's the member of the Legislative Assembly, the MLA for Lesser Slave Lake, was being welcomed back after six months in exile to the United Conservative Caucus. You'll remember he was one of those that was identified as part of the Aloha Gate controversy. He posted a photo of his family himself traveling in Mexico during Christmas, and people were outraged. But there was more to it than that. There were rumblings that he'd been living and working in Texas, that he wasn't there for his constituents. So much so that his constituents, including the mayor, and at that time the deputy mayor, went on the record on this show calling for his resignation. Six months later, we thought we'd check in as Pat Rain is now back sitting behind Premier Jason Kenney back in the United Conservative Caucus. His worship, Tyler Warman, is the mayor of the town of Slave Lake. Sean Gramlich is a counselor in the town of Slave Lake. I'm always grateful for your availability here, gentlemen. Thanks for being back. Uh, Mayor, your first response when you heard the news that your MLA was back in caucus was? Shocked, actually. Shocked. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it, uh, we didn't have any heads up. We found out at the same time as everybody else. And uh, um, yeah, you know, when the comments came out in, in January that this would never happen and, you know, he was going to stay where he was at and he was going to be an independent. And fast forward six months later, um, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting development for sure. Okay, you say you're shocked and it's an interesting development and you're a mayor, so you're being diplomatic, but it would lead me to believe that perhaps you're cynical about whether or not he's earned the right to be back. Has he? You know, realistically, I'll, I'll be honest, that's not my call to make. So um, I will say that, uh, you know, the UCP caucus there in January decided he wasn't the right fit. We said that he wasn't the right fit as an MLA. Um, you know, the big question as we move forward, is this a party decision or is this uh, uh, an MLA decision? And so, you know, at the end of the day, it's not up to, to me to decide what makes sense or what doesn't. You know, the voters will give him the ultimate report card in in 18 months i can tell you i didn't sign any letter of support um i I will give him a little bit of credit that i think he's been working harder in this region for sure 
um, and he's trying. It's the same kind of development and work ethic we saw uh, when he was campaigning. And so it leads me to believe, you know, is this a campaign move or is this a new MLA move? And um, I guess we're going to have to kind of wait and see. Councillor Gramlich, uh, your MLA, Pat Rain, says that he's got a ton of letters of support from people. He said he'd release them if people wanted and seems like a lot of people want to see them. Do you believe that he deserves to be back in caucus? Do you feel like he's paid his penance, so to speak, over the past six months? Well, I don't think it's something you you just earn back in that short period of time. It's kind of like when my kids are fighting and I take their iPad away for a week, but I give it back to them 10 minutes later because they're being nice. Like he was kicked out of caucus. I don't think he should ever be allowed back in a caucus. So I, I question if this is a, I, I don't think this UCP party currently cares about the people. And I don't even think they care about the party because if they cared about the party in this region, they wouldn't have put him back in a caucus. I, I think Jason Kenney cares about himself. And that's why Pat Rain's back in caucus. Because this is not uh, some NDP stronghold, uh, the town of Slave Lake or, or, or the riding of Lesser Slave Lake. This is not an NDP stronghold. Like, is it fair enough to say, Mayor, that this is conservative country? You know, there, there's a mix, but I, I will say for a long time, it's been definitely more right wing and more conservative than ever. Yes. So what do you think it is that, that, that really rubbed people the wrong way? I mean, what was this ultimately all about? Did people feel disrespected? Well, I think I think at the are you talking now? Or are you talking? Well, I mean, what what prompted the whole thing? But I mean, if you're if you if you listen to Councillor Gramlich and you're saying ultimately the election will sort this out, I mean, do you get the sense that people are still a little bit sore about this? Oh, I I totally think so. You know, you can look at some of the comments and stuff on social media and the things that are developing, and uh, you know, I think more than one person out here in in this region is shaking their head. Um, you know, the reason this all started was because we we the people of this region are elected in MLA to do a job and so that job is not to be a representative of the UCP caucus in Slave Lake region it's to be the advocate for the people in this region to the province um, and so it'll be interesting as we move forward um, to see if that's the job that this MLA is going to do or not. Uh, Councillor did you get the sense that the government or, or maybe the premier um, heard the concerns not just of council but of your town I mean, did you get the sense that over the past six months, this government treated your community with the respect that you know it deserves? Personally, I'm not speaking on behalf of council. I'm speaking for myself. I, I, I think they made a move to keep us quiet. And uh, and now we need some back in caucus. And, and now we're here. So I'd, I'd expect some more moves to keep us quiet now. That, that's my feeling. What's another one? What are you forecasting? Some announcements, stuff like that. I, I just... I. I, I'm at a loss of words for this current government. Mayor, why do you think, I mean, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, it's not up to me to say, and it wasn't my decision. But why do you think Pat Rain is back? Uh, why do I think he's back? Mm -hmm. you, you know what? I, you know, I, I, I honestly, I, I don't know. Like, you know, from a party perspective, uh, I'm not sure I 100% see the strategy. From a regional perspective, um, I'm not sure how that benefits the people of this region. Um but uh, yeah, like I, I, I don't know. You know, at the end of the day, I, I will say, and I'm not trying to be too political here, but I also my my ultimate job is to the residents of this region, and and there's a lot of things that the province um, does in our in our world. It's healthcare, it's highways, it's all these different things. We got provincial parks, and we're trying to deal with a bunch of these things, and I have to make sure the ball keeps rolling in that right direction. You guys um, know. Oh, pardon me, Mayor. Go ahead. I was going to say that, you know, it is always advantageous to municipality to have a person that is in the caucus that has the ruling power, 100%. Uh, but that, um, 
you know, I, I will say that I don't really feel that benefited us at the beginning of this election in the first two years. Maybe now it will. I, I don't really know. Hmm. Um, Councillor, you know, you you guys both know that after you talked to us back in January, you gave us that exclusive. And, and, and if you read the comments or if you saw on Twitter, people thought both of you went too easy on the party. People are like, these guys are being disrespected. Their communities being disrespected and they're still carrying water for the United Conservatives. Councillor, has your position changed personally over the past six months? Or did you think that that criticism was fair? I don't think it was fair criticism. I, I think we we got to toe a line here where we're working with a government that's in power. We're not just going to throw an entire government under the bus. Six months later, um, has have things gotten better? I don't think so. I'm a, I'm a conservative voter at heart, and I, I feel like I have no party right now. So may, maybe I've changed a bit. Yeah, you and me both, Councillor. How about you, Mayor? I'm scratching my head a lot these days. That's for sure. The uh, Yeah, you know, like... I honestly, before I'm a party member, I'm definitely a slave lake guy. And so I'm very passionate about this region. I'm passionate about these people. Um, I will say to the people that think that we should have thrown them under the bus and we should have went crazy. I don't know. Like, that's not usually how I do business. And I don't think that's how we should run our municipality. So I respect that they have a right to their opinion, but I don't don't agree. Have either of you been receiving word from your constituents over the past 48 hours or so since the announcement was made? I've gotten tons of phone calls, texts. Uh, people aren't happy. People people knew we were friendly with Pat at the beginning and, and thought maybe that we were behind some of this. And and I didn't even know it was coming. I, I, I Maybe I'm not paying enough attention. Maybe some people did see this coming. I didn't. So uh, the, the the majority of, uh, of the people I know and the, the conservative base here are not happy with the decision. Mayor, have you been hearing from residents? I'll echo a huge ditto. You know, if you see the some of the support and stuff that uh, he's got, and he's talked about the letters of support, it's called, largely come from the west end of the municipality and and some of the north uh, northern regions. But um, why why is that significant, Mayor? Well, I would I would say there's not a lot of, of support. It seems coming from right in our municipality in mm-hmm. Slate Lake. So uh, you know, our council didn't jump on that bandwagon. I don't think uh, many of our residents did. And and the feeling I'm getting from my residents is not, uh, hey, that was a move in the right direction. So. Got it. Uh, hey, listen, I know that the work never stops uh, when you're on council, when you're a mayor. And so I know that you've got somewhere to be mayor right at 10 o'clock, uh, which is what it is now live mountain time. I want to thank both of you on short notice for your availability and for your candor. Thanks for the real talk today. You bet. Thanks, Ryan. You got it. That's uh, Councillor Sean Gramlich and his worship mayor, Tyler Warman, out of the town of Slave Lake. Pat Rain reinstalled. Welcome back into caucus as the MLA for Lesser Slave Lake. Of course, you'll remember that writing was previously held by then minister Daniel Larryvane. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I always I always when, when I do an interview like that, you never know if it's fair. I mean, this goes back to the whole Kinsella thing that people were talking about earlier. Is it fair if you're if you are a hardcore NDP voter or volunteer or donor and you've lived in in, in Lesser Slave Lake or or Jusard or wherever? I mean, this is one of my favorite parts of the province. I love that part of Alberta. Um, but if you're a big, you know, big time NDP, you're going to be pretty pissed off if an interviewer is like, hey, this is conservative country. What are your thoughts? Right. You never want to sort of paint or characterize writings. But but the fact of the matter is it is right. And I'll be curious to see next provincial election what happens there, because if and this is me purely speculating and with respect to, to Daniel Larry, perhaps she has no interest 
in running again. Maybe she is chomping at the bit and can't wait. Or maybe there's another candidate or maybe who knows. I mean, first of all, who's going to run for the conservatives? Right. Pat Rain's not guaranteed that the premier is going to sign his nomination papers or he's going to bypass that process. As a matter of fact, I bet you there's a whole bunch of people lining up to run for the United Conservatives in that riding. But I'd be curious to know if this is going to swing that. I'd be curious to know if this one could swing back to the NDP. Daniel Larry Vey, every government has had its disasters, right? You can sit there and say under this premier or under this prime minister, whatever your context is, or under this mayor and that counselor, whatever school board trustee, whatever your wheelhouse is, has had disastrous performances. Daniel Larry Vey was not one of those. Right. She had a, a prominent ministry during the Alberta wildfire. She was uh, articulate, well-spoken, I think, uh, uh, you know, to a certain degree, at least through those crises, one of the faces of Rachel Notley's government. And I think that right now, I mean, you've got a counselor on the record right there saying he doesn't think that Jason Kenney cares about Slave Lake. I wonder if there's enough time that can pass before the next provincial election or if this might be one of those uh, with respect to the town of Slave Lake to call it rural. But but if this might be one of those more rural ridings that could swing back, I'd be curious to see. I wonder if the premier's thought about that. I don't think he's thinking that far ahead. I think he's thinking leadership review right now. I think he's thinking calm the storm and caucus right now. Yeah. And referendum in the fall. Yeah, that's right. The team at Campers Village knows you want to get outside, and we invite you right now to check out campers-village.com because it's picnic season, and that means that they have all the best gear. Icebreaker, Kuma, you can see Mountain Hardware, Yeti, my personal favorite. Do you have a Yeti cooler, Sam? Do you have a Yeti cooler, Sarah? Yeti cooler? No? I do not. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Can I tell you a story? This is a true story. This is going to take all of Campers Village time, but trust me, it's worth the story. Boys and I went on a hike two years ago, right? We took a Yeti cooler in my buddy's camper van. It's a 77 Dodge Sportsman. We filled the Yeti with about 18 beers and two bags of ice and closed it. Now, the key to the Yeti is you don't want to keep opening and closing it. The worst enemy of the Yeti cooler is the person that opens it up and then hums and haws about what they're going to drink. And you go, no, 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 you got to keep it. We hit the trail. We come back. It's like 25 degrees every single day, which means in the vehicle, it's like 45, right? Do not leave your pets in your vehicles. It's like 45 degrees in there. After six nights on the trail, we opened up the Yeti. The ice was still in chunk form. Get out of town. Still full ice cubes. No way. I will never forget my pal, Lozzie, throwing me a beer saying, sorry, it's so cold. Find Yeti at campers-village.com. Also want to remind you that the teams of Dairy Queen at Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park are ready for you this weekend. Burgers are two for five bucks. These are the cheeseburgers we're talking about. Little Wyatt, our little guy, he's he's against. He's got something against cheeseburgers. He's going for hamburgers. Don't worry, guys. Don't worry. I'll get back in his head. I'm going to get him back to cheeseburgers. Two doubles for seven bucks at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens, and Baseline Road. If you tell them you heard about it on Real Talk or drop my name, Jespo. Also want to remind you, you can save $70 off your internet, electricity, and natural gas right now by visiting parkpower.ca. Amazing resources there so you can check your rates. You can compare what you're currently paying right now for electricity, natural gas, and internet. And a reminder, we've really been hammering this home this week because I know that it matters to so many of you. 10% of their profits on electricity go back into nonprofits, and you get to pick which nonprofit gets that 10% of your electricity bill. How cool is that? You can find out more again. 2021-REALTALK is the promo code at parkpower.ca. 
And finally, a shout out to the team at Local Waste. Before I do this, I always feel like I want to just... Yeah, reset. Take a sip of water. Do you need a stretch first? I want to kind of whet my whistle, if you will. My gym teacher, Ken Miller, back in the day used to say, you guys are, you know, we're putting the pennies on. Remember pennies? Yes, I do. Oh, yeah. Kids call them pennies. And then once you turn 18, you call it your going out gear. (laughs) Anyway, Ken Miller would say, you guys are the darks. You guys are whites. We'd always snicker, and then he'd make us run lines and do wall sits until we puked, and it was horrible. So That'll teach you. While we're at it, let me remind you that one of the services that Local Waste provides, yeah, they'll take care of your, your garbage and get it all figured out in the bins, and they know that small businesses and large businesses have different needs. But here's one of the things that really impresses me. They take their resources. You go, yeah, I'm in a terrible contract. I signed Before I knew what I was doing with my new business, I signed a contract for this big multinational garbage company, and it's, I'm locked in for like 10 years. Uh-uh. Local Waste commits their resources to get you out of bad contracts. Learn more. And give Mikel, Lauren, or Chris a call today via the contact information at localwaste.ca. Each and every Friday, we wrap up our broadcast week. An opportunity provided by the team at Local Waste Services to blow off a little steam. It's a little something we like to call Trash Talk! Yeah, that's right, friends. Our gift to you this week, a politics-free trash talk. This from Aaron, who says, can we all just agree that people who play loud, shitty music in campgrounds are the absolute worst of the worst? Here I am trying to listen to the loons and the thunder and the coyotes and the campfire, but instead I'm lying in my tent, seething, listening to you destroy the camping experience of everybody around you who came here for peace and quiet. Dude! Put down your Ryan Coke. Get back into your trailer. How entitled are you? That's from Aaron. What about this one from Kelly, who says, longtime listener, first time writer, says it drives me nuts. By the way, Kelly also then says, please don't use my name if you read this on air. Always lead with that. Always put that first. Kelly says it drives me nuts. Or is the name really Kelly? Maybe I pulled an audible. Maybe it's not really Kelly. Who knows? Nobody knows if it's Kelly or not. It drives Kelly nuts to see people throwing garbage or recyclables into compost bins and vice versa. Earlier this week, I went to the Stampede and I saw a ton of people tossing their mini donut buckets and their plastic straws into the green bin. The garbage recycling and compost bins are side by side by side and literally have the accepted materials drawn on them. It's not rocket science. That was yesterday yesterday on Real Talk. People are just lazy. Garbage contaminates an entire organic spin, which means that it all has to be sent to the landfill where it will release methane, which is a powerful greenhouse gas. Do better, says Kelly, Kelly, who also goes on to say, have a great weekend, Real Talkers, and remember to properly separate your waste, recyclables, and organics. That from Kelly. I love it. This from Bob, who says, I was playing a round of golf at a, at a local West End course, he says, but they're not a sponsor on the show, so I won't name them. And we we were in the bush looking for a ball. He says, don't worry, it wasn't mined. But, but, I was, but I was with one of those guys that was like, oh, look, I found my ball. Everybody knows that guy, right? He says, so we had to keep a close eye on him. And, and as egregious as this is, that's not why I have a burr under my saddle, says Bob. That's not what I'm talking. Into. I mean, I could do a trash talk on people who find their ball all the time. One of them's coming to visit me from Calgary this weekend. He finds his ball all the time. It's a miracle. He shoots under 80 every single time. But Bob says, when I was in the bush, I found beer cans 
We picked him up, of course. But what kind of loser gets the opportunity to experience nature on a golf course and tosses beer cans into another creature's home? Next time, stay home and toss your empties into your own backyard, you jerk. I hope word gets around in the animal world, and I hope you end up with an ant infestation in your basement and mice in your garage. I hope crows treat your garbage can like a smorgasbord and the pigeons use your car as target practice like they're training for the bird shitting event in the Animal Olympics. Peace out from Bob. This one from Heidi, who says these dude bros racing to space is easily the most absurd thing happening right now, and I can't even handle it. There is no discernible reason for this to be happening other than the fact that they are small, petty little men who have completely lost touch with reality. Don't give me this it's for science excuse. Donate money to NASA if you're so hard for space exploration. Get your ego out of it. We're in a climate crisis, and you're using your exorbitant stolen wealth for anything but solutions that are guaranteeing your spot in hell. I don't want your bogus philanthropic free flight to space either. I want you to put some fucking solar panels on my roof and plant some motherfucking trees. If these tin man scarecrow billionaires keep operating without a brain or a heart, then we need governments that will make them tax these jerks and speed up our timeline to net zero. It's time to get radical about change toward renewables. I don't care if it's risky. We've spent enough time radically burning fossil fuels and risking the fate of our climate. That from Heidi and this one from Mandy. Not her real name because she says right at the beginning, do not say my real name. You know why? Because she has the honor of being a bridesmaid for her sister's wedding, except she hates it. She says, how is this an honor when it's just a black hole of money and time? Can we talk about a fucking useless and pointless bridal showers are. There's no equivalent for the groom, so why does the bride need one? Can you imagine in any other situation being like, so there's going to be a party for me, but I'm not going to plan any of it or pay for anything. I'll just show up. I never want to do this shit ever again. That from Mandy, definitely not her real name. Real Talkers, what a week it's been. I love you guys. Thanks for showing up for conversations you love, conversations you tolerate, and conversations you hate. We do this because you're here with us and we're figuring things out. Have an amazing weekend. Send us your emails and we'll talk to you Monday on Real Talk.